right, everybody, welcome to the November 14th edition of Cascadian Views. I've got Dan and Chris with me here today. How are you guys doing? Very decent. Yeah. Hey, doing okay. It's a cold, wet fall evening. And kind of depressing, which fits the theme of our last few weeks of the show. <laughs> uh, and it's like this on both sides of the country, so there's symmetry. Yeah. <laughs> There is uh, some potential silver linings in terms of undoing the damage to democracy that the last four years have caused, uh, and that is Steve Bannon has been indicted by a federal grand jury uh, for contempt of Congress. How do we feel about that? Hey, it sounds good to me. Yeah. <laughs> about freaking time. <laughs> I feel uh, great about it, and now I want to see the resulting arrest. <laughs> I I know a lot of people have been thinking that uh, this has been pretty slow-rolled, uh, and that this could have happened earlier. But from what I've been reading, uh, especially through Ken White, Popat, um, apparently the guy who convened this grand jury just got confirmed, like, three weeks ago. <laughs> he wasn't allowed to touch any of these charging <laughs> documents before that. Or, or any of this, so, you know, you figure a week you get up to speed with the office. This whole indictment happened, like, with a dude on the job for two weeks, the U.S. Attorney for D.C. Uh, which, when you think about it like that, that's actually, like, lightning quick. Yeah, I mean, it, it does take time to actually make an indictment happen, so it's... I'd say as far as, you know, the speed of that goes, they certainly did as fast as they could. If everything that Ken White had, had assumed and shown is true, this indictment literally came together in like two weeks. The guy would not yep. have been allowed access to any of the evidence before he, he got into the job. He's been on the job for three weeks. It's generally a one-week breaking-in period. Uh, Ken is pretty convinced that this all happened in like 14 days. Excellent. That, yeah, that's great. They <laughs> did what they needed to do. Mm -hmm. I mean, the only, I, I think the only cloud over it right now from what I've seen is that the case is before a Trump appointee judge. So <laughs> that's, I guess, some cause for concern. But uh, I, I mean, mean, there's really not much you can do about that. Does does a judge really feel empowered to like rewrite federal law like that? This isn't a constitutional question. Like, right, right. They are allowed to issue subpoenas under the Constitution, and then there is a federal law for contempt of Congress. I don't get how you can just throw out that law. There's not a constitutional question to justify it. Yeah, and if they were really, um, I mean. Never put this past them not being right. really smart. But if they were really smart about this, they would realize, hey, this could be us in two years wanting to call someone from the Obama or Biden administrations on contempt and make them show up. Sure. Sure. They could have avoided all this by just using inherent contempt powers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's at that point, that's a separation of powers issue. But no court in the world is going to say that Congress has to release somebody from their own fucking jail. <laughs> uh, uh, where do you think this goes from here in terms of Bannon? Do you 
Do you see him surrendering to law enforcement at any point? Yeah, that's that's the question we find out tomorrow, right? And that's the expectation. It's got to be in court tomorrow. So, yeah, I would I would assume so. Be interesting to see. I'm I'm not I'm not convinced he's not just going to not show up. I use not <laughs> a lot in there. Just hunting for different words. Not use not a third time in that <laughs> sentence. You triple but negative. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, I I really like I don't want to say go on the lamb because I don't think he's gonna like flee the country or anything. But I can totally see Bannon staying at home, putting his boots up on the table, putting on a football game and cracking a beer <laughs> while the judge is sitting there in the courtroom wondering where the hell he is. Sure. Sure. Like dare people to arrest him, basically. I, I think that's a hundred percent up his up his sleeve. That is that is very um Brand, brand, yeah. Just yeah, contempt. That's what he's in trouble for. (laughs) (laughs) But I guess the key thing about this is you, um, in theory, you haul him in. Maybe you haul in one or two other people, and the third, fourth, and fifth person you call actually shows up. Uh, Speaking of other people that they're calling. Chris, you wanted to mention they issued uh, a whole bunch of subpoenas. Yeah, they've done two different batches. So I think they're up to about 20 people that they've, you know, between the ones they did like a month or two ago and this latest group over the past two weeks. They're up to about 20 people they've called. And it's it was interesting to me to see that the um, the kind of power move of actually releasing the letters they sent to them. <laughs> and in the letters, they were very specific, like, we have reason to think you know about the events of this day. Here's why. <laughs> Here's our citations for what we said about why. Um, and the thing about that is it makes it much harder to sustain a case of, you know, well, I have uh, I have executive privilege over blah, 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 because they're showing exactly what they're calling people for. Mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of the subpoenas seem to be targeted towards Pence's people, at least in this last round. Yeah, that was also an interesting thing. Yeah. I think the, um, I mean, we've heard some real rumor kind of stuff about Pence in the past week, so I don't know if I want to dignify that by passing a lot of it on, but. I don't know if I'd call it a rumor. (laughs) We got it straight from the horse's mouth. (laughs) <laughs> but whatever happened with Pence and Trump in that few days is obviously completely relevant to what the committee is investigating and also mm-hmm. potentially quite explosive. So it's good to see that they're kind of focusing in on that layer of people. Uh, I guess we will kind of dignify that because it's it's an important topic. But what are you referring to? Trump, um, I guess, gave access to John Carl uh, of ABC for a book Carl is writing. Carl recorded uh, just reams of interviews with the guy. Um, And some of that audio started coming out ahead of the book's release. Uh, Specifically, uh, Carl provided Axios with a copy of an interview where Trump defended the protesters, calling on them to hang Mike Pence. 
uh, <laughs> as well as detailed how far he went to kind of badger Pence into executing the coup. And Trump was not at all subtle about it. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not paraphrasing. No. Uh, he, he just said it out loud. Yeah. And I mean, the fact that his direct response to being asked, well, the crowd was saying hang Mike Pence started with, well, it's just common sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's poetry. Oh, my gosh. Ladies and gentlemen, the presumptive 2024 frontrunner. Um, oh, man. You know, and that isn't even what I was referring to, so I guess I'll just refer to what I was referring to. There's been some kind of like, uh, you know, behind-the-scenes blog-type people who've said that Pence's team was, like, locked out of being able to use their passes and things like that. And that could just be that the building in general was on security lockdown. Or it could have been specifically targeted. You know, part of me, I don't know how they're connected and they very well may not be. But part of me feels like there's a chance that's related to the whole incident with Pence jumping the command structure with the National Guard. Yeah. Like, somehow, I can see Trump being paranoid enough that he thought Pence was trying to pull off a coup. And not wanting to give him or his people access to, like, the instruments of power. Hmm. Right. Uh, I mean, I know that's way out there, but with that whole era of politics, man, the farther (laughs) out you went, the more likely you were to be right. Yeah. And if Pence was thinking of pulling off a coup, which is actually something that these rumors, well, <laughs> what the rumors get into is that he and his staff were kind of talking about contingencies of like, you know, could we call the military on Trump? Could we get the nuclear codes away from Trump? Um, if he was doing that, it's because Trump was first pulling a coup. Yeah. <laughs> it was actually right. a counter coup trying to restore democracy. <laughs> A def- I mean, defensive coup, basically, I mean, that was kind of, that's been a, the open speculation about the last couple of weeks of the Trump administration, right? Was that the idea that guys like Pence and Milley were basically having this open agreement that they just weren't going to follow a lot of the crazy orders and stuff that were coming directly from Trump. <laughs> so, yeah, so one of the yeah. other things that Carl had uh, that apparently Trump provided him was the memo justifying the uh, the firing of Esper. And one of the right. stated things in there was his failure to rein in the Joint Chiefs and bring them under political control. Uh, and kind of counterintuitively, uh, him refusing to have politics like involved in the military and whatnot. It was very eye-opening in terms of priorities. It really was. I, I think there's a lot to that kind of open agreement between Milley and, and Pence and all that because it seemed to be something that was very strongly motivating the, the inner circle in the final days. Yeah. Yeah, and there was a lot of stuff that 
the Trump administration did that fall that kind of reshuffled military command and also reshuffled the Department of Justice. And at the time, there was like wild speculation mongering that I didn't really buy into. But <laughs> looking back now, and with all this additional material that's come out, I don't know. It doesn't seem so absurd that, you know, Trump was seriously preparing for. Uh, the book, which is called Betrayal, The Final Days of the Trump Administration, comes out uh, November 16th, so three days from this recording, probably the same day this episode goes up. Uh, you guys going to read it? I mean, realistically, probably not, but that's just kind of speaks to my time <laughs> yeah available for reading getting it into the schedule i think is the big thing <laughs> yeah all right uh chris why don't you keep going down your list there that he had put together <laughs> well since we're definitely in the same subject area i will bring up the um other trump news which was early in the week this past week he'd gotten uh, okay let me back up the 1-6 committee had basically asked for a bunch of documents related to the Trump administration. And the current White House said, sure, <laughs> we'll hand them over. <laughs> at, at which point Trump, you know, engaged in legal action against it. Um, and earlier this past week, he'd had a ruling against him basically along the lines of executive privilege does not pertain to this material because you are no longer the executive. Mm -hmm. The current executive is willing to turn it all over. Um, so he actually got a uh, ruling from the D.C. Court of Appeals, which on looking at it is not really a political hack job. Like they're all kind of Biden or Obama era appointees. And they're, they specifically stated that, like this – us sustaining this appeal is not based on the merits of the case. It's based purely on preserving the judicial prerogative to do this. Mm -hmm. And they also fast-tracked the discussion on it for the end of this month so that it wouldn't be lingering. But um, it was, a, you know, there was a good chance, I would have said as, as of midweek, it looked like there was a good chance that these documents would just be handed over at the end of the week. That didn't happen. That won't happen for a while. I mean, it's going to happen sooner than I think most people would have assumed. Uh, they put right. it on a, a real, like, accelerated schedule. This case is going to be decided by the end of the month. Yeah, they fast-tracked yeah. it, and the uh, levels of appeal from here are not very many levels. It probably ends up before the Supreme Court in some fashion, but... I don't, I don't think they take the case. They already swatted this one away once before. Yep. Like, I, I just, I really don't feel like they want to get involved. Yeah. Keep pushing it aside, set it down to the lower courts, and hopefully, yeah. you know, get it, again, get it dealt with before the end of the year, is what I would hope. Yeah. Well, okay, then. I... I just I assume it's going to be decided by the end of this month. I, I assume the appeals court is going to 
basically throw it out. It'll be appealed to the Supreme Court. I don't think they even grant a stay. I think they just decline the case. Yeah, if they refer it back to the... I don't even think they refer it. I think they just straight up turn it away. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Okay, then. Chris, let's keep you on the roll, then. Uh, Infrastructure. Done. (laughs) Maybe. Infrastructure. Well, so we were, I think we mentioned last week, like, all right, it's been sent to Biden. Surely he's signed it by now. And in fact, he hadn't. (laughs) And he didn't sign it all week, um, which was leading to some speculation. But the White House has announced that it's on the docket to actually be signed this coming Monday. What I kind of wonder is if he was really hoping for a twofer and being able to sign both bills at once. And then it became clear over the past week that that wasn't going to happen. But I mean, yeah, if he thought that, he's the dumbest human being. <laughs> well, maybe Manchin had been talking to him a lot, and he suddenly believed in bipartisanship. If he trusted like, Manchin at this point, he was the dumbest human being. Fast bet. I mean, what we're getting maybe a House vote on BBB this week, I think. But yes. yeah, the Senate is still. Ugh. Hasn't the yeah. House already passed it? No, no, no. They had the they had the framework vote. Um, at the same time they passed BIF, but I think they were going to come back and have the regular vote after they got the scoring this week. I think. Oh, that's right. They turned it over for scoring. Yeah. 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 So they're going to have the vote this week. And that was the promise that they extracted from the blue dogs. So that was what that was the that was the deal between Jayapal and Centris. And so that was how they were able to get the votes to pass BIF. I, yeah. I don't necessarily so from the quotes I was reading, it didn't seem like the House centrists were even asking for a score on this bill. Well uh, that like, you know, I mean that was a part of it. Yeah, I, I mean that was what Okay. Um maybe I'm I'm reading this wrong then, but during the the whole like last minute kerfluffle with the Senate pushing that back, they were the ones asking for a score on the Build Back Better bill, and it was the House centrists kind of caught in the middle who were like, "Well, fine, fuck it. If we're gonna wait for a score on that bill, you should we should wait for a score on the infrastructure bill too. If you want to, you know, stop this for now." Mm-hmm. Uh, so it just seems to me like that was their response. They weren't all that. It wasn't a hard stop that the Build Back Better bill had been, hadn't been scored yet, except with the Senate, I, I guess is how I read it. I'm going to the Google now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but presumably, one way or another, the House passes something on. And then, yeah, we, we're back to waiting on Mansion. Yeah. Forever and ever and ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or who knows, it could be next week. <laughs> what the hell is up with that dude? I He's back to being the main asshole. Yeah. <laughs> and, and now we're entering into the, um, like, a kind of challenge season in terms of yeah 
there's the holiday breaks. There's the fact that a bunch of the financial stuff that was kicked further down the road is coming up again right before Christmas. And and Manchin is saying all kinds of nonsensical stuff about uh, what um, what is it? It's inflation. So yeah, uh, God only knows if he's not going to demand even more changes to it again. So yeah, right. So, okay. Man. So what I'm seeing now, this is from two days ago. Democratic leaders are committed to revisiting the Build Back Better Act before the Thanksgiving break, though a final House vote hasn't been confirmed. Yeah, the original demand, I guess, was that they'd have a score by this coming week, that they would have a score in their hands by the week of 11-15, so sometime right. next week. But uh, that's probably not going to happen. So it takes like at least two weeks to score legislation, usually. And this is a very large bill with lots of, of parts in it. And people expect it to take even longer than that. So they're thinking like three weeks around Thanksgiving. But I, the whole thing is... I know I mentioned this last week, but I am so beaten down by the fact that we just can't fucking accomplish it. I really am. It pisses yeah. me off to no end. Especially since really all it is is a matter of negotiating with Manchin. ourselves. Yeah. Man, well, it's a matter of Mansion just deciding, you know, what the hell he wants and what he can live with, and saying it. It's not right, even like we're trying really to peel off a moderate Republican. Mansion is one of us, more or less. Yeah. You know, he he vote he votes for Schumer to be majority leader. He voted for Obama and was proud of it. Like, he, he sold his campaign on the Affordable Care Act. He is a Democrat. We are negotiating right. with ourselves, and we cannot get to an answer. It pisses me off so much. I mean, the one thing I will say, he does say a lot of dumb Republican things. Yeah. <laughs> in, that, in the purpose of stymieing this bill, he says a lot of dumb Republican things. Yeah. So... <laughs> I, I'm worried he's just maybe gotten to a place where he thinks he can't win a re-election if he votes for this bill, and so he's always going to find some reason that's not okay. Oh, he's not going to win re-election anyway. <laughs> and in, instead of just telling us that, and we move on yeah. to something else or whatever, he has to play this fucking game about it. Yeah. Where he mm -hmm. always finds something, and we waste so much time and oxygen and news cycles on this one goddamn thing. Yeah. It's like, we could have been doing so much other stuff if that was the place he was at. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess we couldn't have because you know, this is really the only thing we've got legislation that we can do because <laughs> I, see, I think <laughs> if he's not going to break the filibuster, then we can't pass anything at all. So <laughs> Yeah, but there are things he's hinted he's willing to break the filibuster for. Yeah. We just had to if we if we had known this was a lost cause and we abandoned this in like fucking March and pivoted yeah. to the John Lewis Voting Rights Act, I think it's done by now. In fact I think it's done by like August. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and we're moving on to something else. Maybe, you know, this is debt ceiling shit right now. Right. 
We we would have looked a lot less stupid if we had yeah. spent yeah. six months on this stuff. <laughs> oh, we would have looked so much less stupid. You're exactly right. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, he should just do what he wanted to do anyway and had to be talked out of, which is run for governor. Seriously. In fact, what's that sound in the background? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. That was like an interference from another transmission. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, weird. He got so pissed that the dude he picked to be governor after him changed parties to Republican that he was going to leave the Senate just to kick his ass in the governor's race again <laughs> and put it back in Democratic hands. And you know what? We would have been down one in the Senate, but I think we might have been a lot more sane and not have pulled out quite as much hair if that had happened. Chris, you were exactly right. Ah, <laughs> oh, man. Fuck. All right. You want to talk about the trial, Chris? Ah, oh, the trial. Yes. Well... <laughs> The trial has been kind of a mess. Um, oh, that yeah, this is going to get <laughs> much less depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not going to get less depressing. Yeah. I would like to hear what Dan has to say, though, about, like, I don't know whether there's already enough stuff built in that this maybe goes to mistrial or, you know, goes to some kind of further legal action. Uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, kind of... I haven't been following super closely, but from what I've seen, there's just been a lot of very bizarre antics and, you know, behavior by the judge, which all just seems very, very strange. Uh, kind of surprised we haven't seen several moves for a mistrial already, but I guess mostly that's the sort of thing that would be a move by the defense, and really things seem to be moving more in their favor anyway. Right. So... I guess they don't really have much incentive to be doing that at this point. I mean, so I guess that may be why we're not seeing such a move in that direction. But yeah, it's just, it's a lot of strange and bizarre behavior. I mean, just going back to the very start from the way I, I think some of the rulings about the way people are allowed to be described. I mean, we, I think one of the big, you know, brouhaha's right at the very start was that you know, there was a ruling right off that, you know, the people who were killed were, there was a ruling right off that they could not be described as victims, but right. they could be called, you know, looters and assailants and things like that. Uh, it's, and then this week we had the testimony by Rittenhouse himself, which was very emotional and dramatic and very, you know, I guess a bit of a Rorschach test on, you know, social media and things like that. I mean, I think most of us do is a pretty gross spectacle but it's been a bit of a bloody shirt for more right-wing folks that, you know, oh my gosh, this poor boy. So, yeah, it's just been a very, very nasty week in, in this trial. Just lots of really, you know, gross, gross things going on there. But, yeah. So, you know, Chris, I mean, what, what other, 
What other elements do we have here? Elements. Well, the judge kind of paused the trial to um, recognize veterans, which oh, granted, yes. was Veterans Day, but <laughs> it was Veterans Day, and it was right when they had another witness who was uh, one of Rittenhouse's witnesses, <laughs> the only veteran in the courtroom. So that that person got a standing ovation right before they were going to testify. It kind of <laughs> surprised me, to be honest, that you could have like seventy fucking people in a courtroom and only one veteran. Like the rates of U.S. military enlistment are actually. <laughs> pretty high in the u.s i'm yeah that kind mm. of boggled me there must have been a close card better <laughs> somewhere in that yeah but, but, you know what that that moment would have been kind of weird but much less annoying if like one of the defense lawyers had also been a veteran and i i honestly think the judge probably expected more than that as soon as he saw it was just the witness for the defense i think he should have known that the applause was a bad idea. Maybe not go through with that. Maybe just like give the guy a head nod or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'd think you know the kind of judge. Yeah, but mm-hmm. mm, not this guy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's also got his phone going off, and it's Lee Greenwood. Yeah. So, Chris, you described <laughs> that in the group as Trump's walkout song. Uh, I, I I take exception to that description. I think it's much more broad right-wing cultural marker that song uh yeah because specifically trump hated that song trump would not play it at his rallies until his political advisor told him that he had to play it at the rallies because republicans think think it's patriotic and after that point not only did he play it at his rallies it wasn't his walk-off his his walk-on song he didn't walk out while it was on he made them play the entire six and a half minute fucking song from start to end, before he would come out to it, to show how patriotic he was. Yeah. You know, good for him. Good for him. Yeah. yeah. But I definitely do not think of that song as a Trump. Trump thing. I think of that song as, like, the American batshit conservative song. I, I will say, he knows better than to listen to that shit. Good for him. <laughs> The one time I will say good for Donald Trump. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. There was also the whole thing about uh, video images and pixels. (laughs) Pinch to zoom function on an iPod, specifically. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. He would not allow them to use pinch to zoom because algorithms might determine what pixels are in there something like that i didn't really follow <laughs> along he's an old man who doesn't understand technology right yep but this is judge where the prosecution was saying that like examination of these images shows that what rittenhouse said about when he was and wasn't pointing guns at people wasn't true <laughs> mm-hmm. and so the judge said i'm not sure this <laughs> this is reliable we're expecting a verdict out of that trial, like, this week, right? I mean, yeah, I guess the defense is presenting their case, so, yeah, I would expect yeah. they're wrapping things up. Yeah. So They can't have much more left, because they've had a lot of the um, law enforcement people up. They've had Rittenhouse up. Yeah. Yeah, I can't expect there's much more to go, so closing arguments and uh yeah then impaneling the 
send, sending the jury off to... So from my understanding, closing arguments were supposed to be Friday. The judge decided that they were going to take that day off in the court and reschedule things for Monday. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So then, yeah, they'd be kicking it to the jury right after. Yeah, well, brace yourselves. That's going to be a fun one. Yeah, and there's also a couple of other things, like um, the trial for some of the Unite the Right people is going on in Charlottesville now, and the Ahmed Aubrey murder trial is happening in Georgia. So we've got a couple of powder kegs that are lit. <laughs> that could all go off around the same time. Fun. Yeah, I was just going to say, going to be wonderful. And, you know, nobody's going to trust the verdict out of that trial of Rittenhouse with the antics and judges. Gonna be, God. Yeah. All right. Is there anything less depressing we can talk about? I don't know. Did I have anything less depressing in my list? I don't no, think so. we were kind of done. I mean, I did put the COP26 on there, but that's also a pretty depressing topic. I mean, they redid the final thing, and we did talk about the final thing before, but it wasn't, turns out that wasn't the real final thing, because I guess they felt pressured to get back together and redo some things, and they came back with something that Boris Johnson says is the death of coal, and I don't really trust Boris in the best of times. I certainly don't trust him on this, so I still don't think it does very much. Did, do you guys feel differently about that? I don't feel like it does enough, but I mean, enough, I, I don't know if our system is capable of doing enough at this point. Yeah, with climate enough is really <laughs> enough isn't really in the vocabulary so yeah. like the last point in time at which we could have done something to really change this trajectory was probably the late 80s or early 90s mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean without doing something really drastic like totally reorganizing global capitalism drastic I feel like we could have made it later if we had actually poured money into technology for this. Like, I think even in the the early 2000s, if we had, you know, taken a look at what was going on in Brazil, where they were using, you know, leftover cellulose from sugarcane production, so not the useful parts of the plant, the cellulose stuff to make, you know, biofuels that are recycled mm-hmm. carbon. You know, it's, it's not that it's carbon-free, but it's that the carbon that goes into making it, plants take mass from the air. They, they take CO2, they break off the carbon for their own use, and they spit the O2 part of it back out. You know, that's that's carbon that was already in the atmosphere. So we're just, we'd be recycling carbon at that point, which which buys quite a bit of time, enough time to, like, let the, the rest of it kind of sort itself out and we can get all on the same page. I think there was more opportunity than the late 80s or early 90s. I do think we we just pissed away a lot of time that we had. Yeah. Yep. Florida's lost out. Basically, is what I'm saying. Uh, and Andrew Yang's like 
Come on, guys, let's move to Denver. I mean, it's looking like the one we've chose. <laughs> hey, we'll lose Florida, but some bad things will happen too. <laughs> We had a rolling shootout in Portland the other night, yesterday, in fact. Ew. Yeah, uh, police attempted to make a stop at a car, which they believed contained a wanted fugitive. Car sped off, firing shots at the police. A lot of Northeast Portland had a shelter-in-place order for a couple hours last night. Uh, I believe I've been sharing updates in the group that uh, Portland has now like sailed past its deadliest year in homicides ever. Uh, we're probably going to hit 100, I would guess. Uh, by the time the end of the year comes around. So, looking great. Pretty much the only local story I've got. Depressing. Anything going on up in Washington? Mm. Oh, well, we did get the uh, new uh, Secretary of State appointment okay. this week. Uh, that was uh, Steve Hobbs. He's a uh, senator, I want to say, state senator from King County. Uh, did post in the group about that uh, like, like I said he's a Democrat again on the uh, moderate wing of the party so again no longer I, I believe uh, Wyman again was the last statewide Republican in Washington so again now they're completely shut out statewide Hobbs is again on the moderate side of things of the Democratic Party. He's run for statewide office before. I think he ran for lieutenant governor in 2020. Yeah, I think he ran for lieutenant governor last year. Or 20, no, 2016. I believe. But uh, he did not win that time, but uh, he was still in the Senate. So he has run before. Uh, he's got a bit of a statewide profile, so I would expect he's going to run for re-election. Um, so this should probably be something that he should be able to hold on to. So, yeah, that was. I think that was probably uh, the plan as far as uh, what uh, Inslee was planning with uh, with this appointment. What you mean, Biden? No, I mean, as far as what Inslee was planning with the... Oh, oh, the appointment of the new guy. Yeah, gotcha. yeah, yeah. What is it with the Northwest and Republican Secretaries of State? Because up until up until his brain aneurysm, we had one, too. Uh, until a couple huh. months ago, a guy had been around for quite a while. Uh, just moderate, normie Republicans in the Secretary of State position. That's something that Oregon and Washington had for a long time in common. One, I guess, is one place where they could fly under the radar, I suppose. I mean, they would have to be, to, to get elected statewide, they'd have to be, you I, know, at least on the normal end of things. I'd also say, uh, especially coming off this last election, it, it was nice to have Republican voices who were fully supportive of both parties. That was yeah. appreciative. Uh, in, that, in fact, that's what got her the appointment to the Biden administration. Uh, she's overseeing election security uh, for yep. part of the federal election. Yep. Yep. Exactly. All right. <laughs> Have a good week, guys. All right. You too. You too. Bye.